You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. This morning, um, I'd like to do a quick review of how we ended last week, and then I'm going to invite Tony up here to join me for a minute. Um, Last week, we ended with a very serious charge, uh, a a very serious charge that, that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are to live a manner, a life worthy of God, that we are to live like a king or a queen, to use Charles Spurgeon's illustration, that we shouldn't be like an eagle flying around chasing flies. That just is, sounds very beneath an eagle. If you've ever got to see one live or witness one live, they're just, they're majestic, they're huge, and, and they're just massive. And if you can imagine a, an eagle wasting its time chasing a fly down. My cats at home waste their time chasing flies down, <laughs> okay? An eagle would not. An eagle's above that. And when we don't live our lives in a manner worthy of God, we are wasting what's been given to us. We are wasting the calling that he has granted us. And we see, we've seen throughout the letter how Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, they have they have lived and are desiring to live this way to the Thessalonians, to the other churches, and all throughout Asia as they are witnessing and expanding the church for God's sake, for his glory, for, for the gospel. And we've seen how they have witnessed, they've shared their lives, they have willingly been arrested, they have been beaten. Uh, Paul, through his list and in the Corinthians of how many times he's been shipwrecked and, and tortured and starved and frozen and hot and all of these things for the sake of the gospel is not a life of chasing flies. It's living like royalty for Jesus. We also read about Abigail uh, at the beginning last week in the story in First Samuel 25 about how she did the same thing. And while she wasn't going all throughout Asia and expanding the gospel in that manner, she still lived like royalty, made choices like royalty when she heard that David was coming to basically wipe out all the males in her household, including her husband. Remember her husband, whose name meant stupid? Yet she still chose to do the right thing and stood up and went out confronted David, brought gifts, and saved the men in her household. She let God take care of her husband. And just some of the truths that we looked at out of our text last week, out of the story of Abigail, we, looked, we, we saw that they did their jobs. You know, sometimes we can get hung up on wondering what God's will is for us, uh, what are we going to do, all of these things. And, and the bottom line is this, are we going to do our jobs? Are we going to obey him or not? Is there days that we wake up in the morning and we don't feel like doing that? Yeah, 
I have those days too. That you just don't feel like it. You just wonder sometimes, you, is it worth it? What's the point? But see, God tells us, regardless of our feelings, regardless of false motives in our heart, we need to do our job. We need to still obey him. And by obeying him, they made the right choices. Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy, Abigail. Will we make those same right choices? When we're confronted with the decision to give in to this temptation or refuse it and turn to God, which will we choose? Will we make the right choice? Is it about us just trying to hack it out on our own? Is it about us, you know, the bootstraps, pulling them up tighter, harder, cinching the belt off, tightening the suspenders, just slugging it out? No. The trick and the key to this for them, for Abigail, for us today, it's not only turning from sin, from the idols, it's turning to God. And something that's really been resonating in my heart these last few days is, is when I turn to God, what does that look like? It's a surrendering to Him daily. Am I going to live for Him today or myself? And it's seeking Him and finding my satisfaction in Him and Him alone. So it's a surrender to Him and it's a seeking our satisfaction in him and him alone. If we try to find our satisfaction in anything other than him, it will leave. It will fail. We will be empty. We will be hugging a toilet in the morning. We will be excruciating headaches the ones that we think should be there for us will have left us. Satisfaction can only be found in Jesus Christ. And it's only by turning to him that we can turn from the other. What is empty, what never satisfies. Our last action point, truth, principle, whatever you want to call it, that we looked at last week was this, that we would be godly mentors of parents to those in our lives. You see, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, they acted like a father. And one trait of a good godly father is that they teach their kids to live in a manner worthy of God. That they would live their life, a life such that is worthy of God. And not all of us have kids. I get that. But we all have opportunities to influence others. We all have opportunities to encourage each other. And that we would live like a godly parent to those around us, to a younger sibling, to a friend, to a coworker, to a neighbor, to the cashier at Stangs, whatever. In an encouraging, loving manner, in a way that would encourage them to turn from the sin, the idols, to turn to God to let them know that this never satisfies, 
that God will satisfy. That God will satisfy. So this is Pastor Appreciation Month, so I've been told. And you guys have been very encouraging and appreciative. Tony, would you join me real quick? We're switching gears here, and it, it applies to our teaching as well. And I'll give you this guy. I got him warmed up for you. You already did it. I did. Thank you. You just have to stay away from the bottom button, though. <laughs> Y'all are a good-looking crowd this morning, and uh, I'm glad to see I'm changing the subject here from my ineptitude. <laughs> You're good. Well... I, my family and I greatly appreciate your appreciation. We are humbled and grateful. First of all, the glory goes to Christ. Um, he is our true shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. And in case you didn't know, here's another under-shepherd of this congregation. Um, he just has a different day job. Yeah. And then we have a third one, Gary, who's out on vacation this week. And so I would like for, I brought him up. He didn't know I was going to do this part. I asked him to come up. Yeah. I'm, I'm blindsiding him here. But I would like for you guys to also make sure this month that you are appreciating Tony and his wife, Donna, and Gary and Gina as well. Because uh, I, first of all, I can't do it without Christ. Second of all, I can't do it without them. Okay, they're, they're my brothers. Uh, they've got my team. There's some other men in this congregation as well that are, uh, that don't have this exact role or title so to speak but they're operating and acting like ones as well and so as you are appreciating this month I want to also encourage you to appreciate the other leaders in this church as well okay because it's not about me by any means at all I just have the mic more often than anybody else so uh, please be sure to thank them and appreciate them as well um, they, they've done so much, much more than I've done because they've been here longer than me. So um, they, they are so, true friends and brothers and great under-shepherds. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And I thought I was supposed to come up and read a scripture passage. I have that for you still, okay. and that's still going to happen. Okay. <laughs> um, now, now it's my turn. I do have a mic, and it's on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Y'all, we are blessed. Uh, we are blessed in this church. And it is an honor to, uh, to stand beside Matt. And it's an honor to uh, be here and worship with each of you. I was sitting back there during um, the summer. Sometimes my mind wanders, okay? Uh, but during the songs this morning and then during the summary of the last few weeks, I... I found myself overwhelmed with thanksgiving, and thanksgiving for this. And, and the thanks that I'm giving, I'm giving to God, okay? I'm not as, as worthy as all of you are. I'm not giving it to you because it's, it's Christ who has done this, okay? But I am so incredibly thankful to God to be able to stand beside Matt, and to stand in this room and in this congregation and alongside each one of you. Because, see, we're in it together. We're joint laborers. We're brothers and sisters. We are not a bunch of eagles chasing flies. We're a bunch of children of the king who need not act like paupers because we serve the Most High. And we're blessed. So 
Matt, Dee, family, thank you for being a part of us. Let us love you well, and let us all be challenged to love them well, okay? As we are, as we are loved well by our Heavenly Father. So it's just such a privilege to be a part of this, this body. So thanks I give, thanks I give to God, and uh, above all else, we're going to um, we're going to honor Matt and Dee and family in kind of a little visible way next Sunday. Gary will lead that part of it for us. I'll be away next Sunday, but uh, Gary will lead in that part of it next Sunday. He doesn't know it yet, but uh, <laughs> so if you hear from me, you might tell him to reach out and text me. That's what something. happens when you miss, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, it's good to see you all today. Thanks. Shall I read? Yeah. You okay. guys got First Thessalonians two, seventeen to twenty. Yes, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And I have loved what we've done recently in that if you are able, if you're not able, don't worry about it. But if you're able and would like to stand while I read God's word, let me do that. Let's do that. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, We greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again. But Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. I asked Tony to read this. Uh, you might hang on to that for a second. You might want to comment. Um, to you this morning, it's a little bit out of order. I know that. Uh, it, it would be technically in the lineup, the text for next week. But this morning, in light of the breakfast and stuff, I thought we might share this together. Because uh, this is our heart. Not the part where we're leaving. That's not that we have in our eyes of man, plans of man. You know, we don't have any desire. I hope to retire from New Life Church. That's, that's, my, that's my personal selfish hope. Um, we'll let God work out the plans. Uh, I've tried to make plans myself, and they always don't work out. So uh, I'm done with that, hopefully. Uh, but, and I know that Tony's not going anywhere outside of all his traveling for no. his day job and other things. Uh, Gary isn't either as well. But to convey the message and the principles behind the Scripture to you, from us. We wanted to do this as, as the leaders of this congregation, that you guys are our hope. You guys are our joy. You guys are our glory. That Sunday is the highlight of my week. It's a highlight, I'm sure, of Tony's yeah. and Gary's as well. And so we want to honor you as well and say thank you. We appreciate you. We value you. Tony's mentioned it already. And then what we would like to do as well, um, and I wasn't planning on this, but would the deacons come on up as well? Would you guys come up real quick? Tony and I would just like to pray over you, our congregation, 
And we know there's folks that aren't here tonight and just have the, the deacons who serve as well in a lot of different capacities just stand beside us in this. Um, but we would just like to pray over you guys as well as the leaders of this church, publicly, formally. We do it often throughout the week, uh, most every day. But we wanted to do this also just in front of you and let you hear our prayer for you, okay? So I know this is abnormal for a Sunday, but I think it's important and good. Paul, get up here, buddy. Yeah, come on down, Paul. We've been talking about you. <laughs> Shall I start? Yeah, why don't you start now? I'll close this. Father, we are so grateful, and we are so full of thanksgiving for this day, for this body, for this opportunity, Lord, that we have to gather together today and worship you, but to serve you together in Christ's cause and Christ's work in this community all the time. So, Lord, I thank you for each person who is here. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know what area of the gospel, what area of ministry that you want us all to be involved in, and you have equipped us for that. And Lord, I just, I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this, a part of your work here at this time, in this place. And Lord, I, I ask that you help us to stay encouraged, that you help us to persevere, that you help us to be steadfast, that you help us to stand strong, because we know, Lord, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And we know, Lord, that the enemy doesn't like some of the things that we do. So, Lord, we pray for the victory. And we pray as sons, not as paupers. And we ask, Lord, that you would protect this body, that you would lead us, that you would use us, that you would help us, Lord, to always walk in your strength and not our own. And, Lord, I thank you for Matt and for Dee and their family and their leadership here and for bringing us all together. Pray that you will bless them in just a supernatural way. I thank you for these deacons who serve, the other people who serve in so many ways in our church. I just ask, Lord, that we be good stewards of all that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name. Father, I agree and, and just thank you. I love to brag about your work and the lives of the people at this church when people ask me how church is going and what's it like in the small community of Anderson, Missouri. And uh, I love to brag about you and your work here. I'm thankful for the new friends, the new brothers, the new sisters, the new relationships that you've given Dee and I and our family. Lord, I recognize and realize it is all because of you. Lord, I want to give you the glory for that. And I just want to ask... God, that your face would continue to shine upon each person here, Lord. That you would go before them, you would walk beside them, you would have their rear guard, you would be above them and below them. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work on their hearts as we are not done. We are all works in progress. And I thank you that I can rest confidently in the fact that you will continue the work and complete the work that you begin in each one of us. Lord, I ask for seeds that have been planted 
to be watered and grown and fertilized to a point of where their eyes and their hearts are open to you and your love and your mercy and the gospel. That they would accept you, they would surrender to you, Lord. That they would seek their only satisfaction in you, Lord. I pray for your blessing and favor over this church, Lord. I ask for your wisdom and your guidance over it. God, we give you the glory and the praise. We appreciate you and honor you as the true pastor, as the true shepherd of this church, Lord. It's yours. Please never let us step ahead of you. God, if you're not going there, we will not go. As Moses prayed to you many, many years ago, Lord, that if you are leading us somewhere, we will not go without you. Uh, That we need you with us every step of the way. And only with you. In your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, guys. I would just like to note that that was the first time I've seen Tony use this mic from beginning to end without it or him causing an issue with it. <laughs> if you don't know the back history on that, uh, it's, uh, it's quite, a good, quite a good story. So on to our text this morning, I won't ask, you're welcome to. I'm not going to ask that you stand again, but you're welcome to. I'm going to go ahead and read our passage for this morning. It's three verses. Um, same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 20. But as for us, brothers and sisters, if we were forced to, I'm sorry, we already read that. Let me skip down the page here. Two verses, 13 through 16. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews, who willed the Lord Jesus and the prophets I'm sorry, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. Not really a descriptor that you would want tagged on to your reputation, right? Constantly filling your sins up to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. We have pretty much just one main point this morning that I want us to settle in on, and that's the fact that this church, these people in Thessalonica, they received the Word of God. They received the Word of God. That word received, in the original Greek, um, English language just doesn't do justice for it, but but to explain it further, that word received, when somebody were to say that using this word and this reference in this context— It would be a joining of oneself to what they receive. It's an intimate act. To be such, it would be such a joining of oneself, it would be to such as he or she professes to be. So it was almost like as a husband and wife. So when you have the wedding ceremony and you talk about how the two basically become one flesh that... They join together. They are saying no to who they were as an individual before and saying yes to them being one together. 
that is what this same reference is saying, that these people, this church, these believers received the word of God. It became a part of who they were. It emboldened them, it encompassed them, it consumed them. It became what was evident in their lives and what they said and did. You know, throughout history, royalty kings would marry off their sons and daughters and form alliances. They would do it for status, for relationship, for, for strategy, uh, trying to bring peace to nations, to countries, to, to uh, sometimes, lots of times, with ulterior motives hidden underneath. Um, you know, it's displayed in movies, it's displayed throughout history. Uh, lots of fairy tale stories and movies written about this, right? Uh, Disney seems to be the one that has capitalized on this the most. All of the, you know, betrothed sons and daughters, princes and princesses, and they don't want to marry who mom and dad said they should, and so they have this other person, the, the street slave, the common army guard, the whatever, fill in the blank, that they actually fall in love with and end up wanting to marry. See, God the Father wishes that we would experience that same kind of love that's portrayed in those, and obviously a lot of those we could, we could break it down and look at how realistic that kind of a situation is, that kind of a love really is. They met each other one time on the street, and now they want to be married for the rest of their lives. I mean, there's a lot of emotions and feelings there, but there's really not much love there. There's just a chemical reaction at that point. But that's for another sermon series another day. But God does want us to say yes to Christ out of love, not out of obligation or strategy. You see, God didn't send his son here to form an alliance and to make peace. God is complete in who he is in the triune God for all eternity before we were created. It wasn't a, I'm bored, I need something to do, uh, I am incomplete, I am lonely, so I'm going to create these people that's not why we're here. We're here because he created us out of love for the other members of the Trinity. It's all about love that we were created. It's all about love that we're here. And it's all about love because he knew how we would choose from the beginning. That he had the plan of redemption and salvation in place and in play before Adam and Eve breathed their first breath. God wants us to say yes, to receive him, to receive his word. And so as the word of God written here in this text, in this verse, let's, let's look at the two forms that we're most familiar with it. And I'd kind of like to do a little mini apologetics thing with it, if you don't mind. The first part is the written form of the word of God, meaning our Bible. And it's debated these days, about how true could it be? What if it's all wrong? How do we know that this is God's word? How do we know if it's true? Well, there's evidence that we can look at, that we can use our logical side of our brains that God gave us and created us to have. We can apply science. We can apply history. We can apply archaeology to it and find proof and value and evidence. Some of those things include that it was written over a period of about 1,500 years. 
So between Genesis and Revelation spans some 1,500 plus years of when it was written. It was written by over 40 different authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. Is there any other piece of work, literacy, movie series, anything that you could think of that would have the same consistency and coherency that could span over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, different times, different cultures, different backgrounds, different places on the earth that would have the same coherency and consistency as the Word of God? There is nothing that exists that would. Nothing. I mean, we've seen it time and time again when a new director takes over a movie series or a TV series, and all of a sudden it's like, meh, it's different. I just don't like it. Or a new actor replaces the previous actor who had that key role or whatever, and you're just kind of like, well, it changes. But from beginning, Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation is coherent and consistent. There are more copies of the original manuscripts of the Word of God than just about any other historical literature that is never questioned in its validity. Nobody ever questions if Iliad was really truly written or if it was accurate to what the author wrote or Plato or Beowulf. Nobody questions those. In fact, there's just as much, some would say, and I believe this from what I've studied and researched, some would say that there is more historical and archaeological proof for the Word of God being accurate than even what we consider are our textbooks that we teach. Although I know that schools are getting away from history, unfortunately, but what I went through anyway, even the textbooks that we learn from about U.S. history, world history, and other things, that there is more proof and accuracy for the Word of God than even those. And we never sit there and go, oh, my American Government 101 class, this textbook, there's no way this is right. But people argue against the validity and truth of Scripture and if it's real all the time. Archaeology continues to verify and prove the accuracy of Scripture not disprove it. Every new discovery only verifies and proves it rather than disproves it. Not to mention prophecies that were in the Old Testament written some 400 years before Christ came about Christ, about his birth, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection that all came true. Prophecies about the state of Israel becoming a state, not even that too long ago. Some of us were alive when that happened. In the scriptures. What other book in all of history has encouraged, inspired, and transformed lives in a way that scripture has? What other book? To love instead of hate. To forgive instead of seek revenge. And to serve instead of take. Countercultural, unselfish teaching. 
to put God and others above oneself. I came across, across this quote recently. I really appreciate it. It says that we should not forego God's revelation for man's speculation. We should not forego God's revelation for man's speculation. We see one thing across, come across the internet or online that says, well, how can you prove this or how can you prove that? There's an inconsistency of this or how did God do this? And they're getting all up in arms over about something around the flood or how were there more people that were born and created besides Cain and Abel when Cain separated them and Cain went out and found a wife or all of these other things that actually can be explained if we dig deep enough and understood. For man's speculation, we forgo God's revelation. I think these three reasons that John Piper gives in validity of the scripture summarize it the best. There's God's glory in creation. God's glory in creation. And we see it obviously throughout the book of Genesis, but also in Psalm 19. You cannot tell me by some of the sunsets we've had this last week that you go, that was an accident. You cannot tell me when I look into the eyes of my wife and tell me she was an accident. A bunch of cells randomly growing and forming and doggone it, I want to be worth more than that, don't you? And I am because of Jesus Christ. Who wants to sign up and say, hey, I'm an accident? What's the point? What's the point? I'm out if that's all it is. And that's why we're here. That's why maybe you're here. And even if you haven't surrendered to Christ, seeking your satisfaction in Him, but there's something telling you inside. There's got to be more than me just being evolved from, from some amoeba. There's got to be a point. There's got to be a hope. There's got to be a reason. And this is where we find it. The second thing that Piper says is God's glory in the incarnate Christ. And John 1. And we'll get to the incarnate form of the word of God here in a second on the validity of his life and personhood and then God's glory in the gospel and by that he means the life's changed did you know that most places in the world would not have hospitals if it wasn't for Christians did you know that in most places in the world there would be nothing for orphans if it was not for Christians we would not have our country if it wasn't for Christians. When you look throughout the world, God gets the credit and the glory, but moving through his people, it is because of their faith in him and them following him and stepping out that there is anything good going on in this world. All of these things are evidence that point towards the validity of his written word.
and the power that he grants it to us through his Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians joined themselves to the word of God by saying yes to Jesus Christ. They received it. It became a part of them. What have you got to lose to receive it? Well, the stakes are high, your life. He asked you to surrender your life to him. This isn't a sales pitch of a buy one, get ten free thing. He says, no, take up your cross and follow me. But in doing so, in doing so, you will have eternal life. In doing so, you will get to be able to experience joy and peace and satisfaction in the only one who can give it because he created us with that gap and only he can fill that gap in our lives. He gives us purpose and reason for being here. The incarnate word of God, meaning Jesus Christ, he calls himself the word in John, in John 1. And, you know, our faith boils down to Jesus. I mean, really, at the end of it all, if you boil it all down, and even though there's fantastic and surmountable evidence for scriptures and the truth of it and archaeology proving it, that the bottom line is, is, is it all boils down to Jesus. Is, did he live? Did he die? Did he rise again? Is he, did he live and is he who he says he is? Paul even explains it in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 14, and part of 19 says, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. We should be pitied more than anyone. The good news, strike that, the best news is that it can be proven that he existed every bit as much as any other person that's ever lived. And it can also be proven that he is who he says he was. Not just because of Scripture saying this. There's lineage proof, family lineage. This was highly important during this time and age. And that's why scriptures goes into great length. If you're reading through, it's like, well, why do I care if so-and-so begot so-and-so? It's proof that these people existed. And you can follow it up and you can trace it down beyond scripture. You can go back to these nations' historical records beyond scripture and prove it. The accounts of him being born, family lineage, they can all be accounted for. Eyewitnesses both those who believed in him and those who rejected him. Eyewitness accounts of both. Secular historians who had everything to lose by proclaiming that he lived and did what he did and said who he said he was. There was a Roman historian, Tacidius, you know, the ones who invented crucifixion, the ones who put him to death, the one who would have who knows what kind of reputation he would have from his government by announcing this, proclaiming this, writing about the validity of Christ. He documented it. 
A Jewish historian, you know the Jews who said, crucify him? Part of that sect. The ones who brought them, to, brought Jesus to the Romans, who did the illegal trials in the middle of the night, who falsely accused him and forced Pilate's hand into, into crucifying him just to prevent a riot, basically. Flavi, Flavius, Flavius, Flavius Josephus was his name. Both of these men lived during and right after Christ was born, where they could very easily talk to eyewitnesses and validate stories. Portions of the New Testament were written within 50 years or less of after Christ's life and before he ascended back into heaven. There is nothing else in history that was written that quickly after it happened. The closest one is 120 years after the fact. Well, you start running out of eyewitnesses at that point, right? And it only gets longer after that. I mean, even our calendar reflects it, right? And people try to say he didn't exist. B.C., before Christ. Anno Domini, after Christ. And people try to say that he didn't exist. He isn't who he says he was. Well, if he was a lunatic, why did following him change the world? We've all probably met at least one lunatic in our lives. Maybe we live with one. I don't know. Maybe we are one. We're not changing the world because we're a lunatic, though. And that lunatic isn't changing the world. Nobody's going to surrender their life to them. Nobody's going to be willing to be tortured, starved, frozen, dehydrated, executed for a lunatic. Not without being forced to. What's different about believing in Jesus and, say, Muhammad? Because, yeah, those people martyr themselves for what they believe. The difference is, is that Jesus says, I have paid it for you. And they believe they've got to do that in order to get to heaven. Jesus is saying, surrender to me because I love you and out of love for him. They are saying, do it or you will burn forever in hell. Do it and you'll be blessed with riches and paradise and lots of wives. What about the ladies? You're, I mean, Jesus very clearly makes it all about both, not one or the other. Who are these ladies in paradise that have to be multiple wives of this guy that blew himself up? Oh, by the way, Muhammad was insane. Uh, he ran his campaign by murdering lots of people, including his own. Anybody that sits in a cave by themselves and comes up with a new religion, scary stuff. People follow that. Will you say yes 
to Jesus? Will you receive the Word of God so much so that it becomes a part of who you are? His written Word, the incarnate form of the Word of God through Jesus Christ? The Thessalonians did. It's just a, a couple of sentences later. Let me turn back to that. The Word of God works effectively in those who believe. You don't leave unchanged by believing. And then they welcomed it. Verse 13. They welcomed it by God's grace through the Holy Spirit. The welcoming of it is almost like the honeymoon, if you will. see the word of God if you if you welcome it and you receive it it changes you it changes you your best friend will see this about you your siblings will see this about you your spouse will see this about you the way you treat somebody when they do harm to you will be evidence of how you have received and welcomed the word of God. It works effectively in those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. It is everything. It is everything. As I close this morning, let's kind of walk back through some of the evidences of lives who have received and welcomed the Word of God. You see, I think we can, we can look at these things in scriptures and, and look at all these things and all these lists and, and we'll even get to a list of some 17 commands towards the end of this letter that Paul gives to the Thessalonians, but I don't, I don't see or believe that it's, got, it's Paul saying, hey, God's telling me to give you these list of 17. Add it to your list. Don't do this. Do this. It's not about that. It always boils back down to Christ and his grace and his work in our lives. It's a receiving of the word of God and it working effectively in and through us. It's a surrendering to him in choosing to find our satisfaction in him. And as we do that, our hearts will change. The things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the desire to do wrong instead of right will become like vomit in our mouths. When we sin, do we find ourselves disgusted by it? Not in a depressed shame, woe is me, feeling sorry for myself, pity party thing. But I have taken the work of Christ on the cross and smeared it back down into the mud and fertilizer and stomped all over it. 
like trash on the bottom of our shoes. Sometimes we can take what grace means and forget the price that it really was paid and not have the sensitivity and not have ignore that the grace of the cross held God's wrath at bay the wrath that we deserved and so that when we choose in that moment to give in to that tation and say God you don't know what you're talking about I know better I'm going to do this that we don't give it the time and the attention that it needs of sorrow. Of repentance. So don't take these evidences that I'm going to list here or that we see throughout the book as these are things I need to do more. Take it as I need to surrender more fully to Christ and I need to seek my satisfaction in Him. They became imitators of God's churches in verse 14. They suffered well. Also in verse 14. In chapter 1, verse 3, their work produced by faith, their labor motivated by love, their endurance inspired by hope. Oh, to be able to say that those are the motives of our heart. Faith, love, hope. In chapter 1, verse 9, they turn from idols, they turn to God. In verse 10, as well as in chapter 2, 19, which were read during our appreciation of you, that they joyfully, expectantly, humbly served while waiting for Christ's return. These evidences of a life of living out the great commandment and the great commission, of loving God and loving others. Knowing Him and making Him known.